Welcome to the New Jersey Health Information and Management System Society podcast series, where we discuss emerging trends in healthcare technology and their impact on our industry. New Jersey HIMSS is a consortium of healthcare professionals, providers, and vendors who are committed to promoting the constant improvement in the use of information technology within the healthcare industry. My name is Jim Hennessy. I'm a board member of our New Jersey chapter. I also serve as the CEO of E4 Services, a healthcare consulting firm. As my co-host for today's session, I'm joined by our chapter president, Dr. Kennedy Gonti. Kennedy. Thank you very much, Jim. And I'd like to take an opportunity to introduce one of our prime sponsors of our podcast today, and that's coming from Aspire Technology Partners. Aspire is a professional uh, technology services firm specializing in the delivery of digital infrastructure solutions and managed services designed specifically to achieve their clients' business goals. Aspire believes technology sits at the heart of every enterprise strategy. Their team takes time to understand your business initiatives and align technology solutions to drive the organization forward. Aspire's outcome-driven approach accelerates your journey by combining secure digital infrastructure, world-class design and implementation expertise, and managed services, all centered around transforming today's multi-cloud architectures into enablers of business value. Headquartered in Eatontown, New Jersey, Aspire is focused on serving the tri-state and mid-Atlantic regions with local operations in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, Albany, and White Plains, New York. For more information, visit their website at www.aspiretransforms.com. Again, that's www.aspiretransforms, that's one word, .com. And I'd like to tra- you know, hand the podcast back over to Jim. Thank you very much. Excellent. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Aspire. So we're really fortunate today to have two regional CMIOs with us, Dr. Greg Herman from Inspire Health and Dr. Wayne Thelmuth from Hunterton Health. Uh, welcome to both of you for joining us this morning. I really look forward to getting into today's conversation, which is going to be centered around digital transformation. For many of us who've been in the healthcare IT industry for many years, we've heard and seen many different buzzword-worthy trends that have ended up having different definitions and impacts for, for every organization. And digital transformation is one of those ones that's gathering the most attention currently. So for today, we're looking forward to learning about what that means for Inspire, uh, for Inspire Health and for Hunterton. Um, And to get us kicked off, Dr. Herman, let's start with you and kind of give a little bit of background on what's going on with with Inspire and the current state of information technology. Sure. Happy to do so. I hope everybody's well today. So Inspire Health is a uh, four-hospital system in South Jersey with – significant number, I'll say around 25 ambulatory offices too. Some, most of them owned, were aligned with many other community practices. And our implementation back in 2018 was an enterprise-wide electronic medical record so that everybody could see the same the same data uh, at the same time, acute care, ambulatory, uh, imaging, lab, et cetera, which I think was a, was a big move uh, and a big step in the right direction of trying to transform into digital. Um, we've changed our leadership uh, recently, and I say that uh, because I feel it's important in our in our future, we've changed uh, one of our mottos to digital first. So every workflow issue that we talk about, we try to find a digital solution first, and then uh, and then trickle down from there. Um, so I think we're going to actually get even more innovative than we have been in the past few years. And I think uh, because our leadership was innovative in their thinking, uh, I think we're even going to be more innovative in trying to. Uh, move data to the places it needs to be in near real time, at least, if not real time, 
to benefit both patients and providers, those who deliver care, but more importantly, those who uh, who need the care. So we try to keep the patient uh, at the forefront and, and digital first is going to help us do that. So we're, um, we're, we're, I'd say we're about halfway down the road of where we need to be, um, but we're going to get the resources, I believe, to, to even further that uh, in the coming years. That's excellent. I look forward to really jumping in to understand a little bit more about what those mean. But while we pull into the conversation, Dr. Felmuth, uh, give us an update on what's happening over at Hunterton. So good, good day, everybody. Welcome. Glad to be here. So Hunterton is a uh, small community hospital in north central western uh, New Jersey, right along the Delaware. Uh, we're 178 beds, but we have a large integrated delivery network where there's a partnership between the hospital itself and then uh, an IPA, which is made up of the employed and the independent physicians. So that IPA is, um, that partnership with the IPA is called 100 and Healthcare Partners. It's about 166 sites it's a 50-50 split between uh, specialty and primary care practices. It's a pretty close to 50-50 split between employed and independent. Um, that partnership was actually formed back in the early 90s as a way to become clinically integrated so that we could do joint contracting with the practices and the hospital at the same time, long before medical record, electronic medical records. So we had a paper process for staying clinically integrated. Um, with the advent of medical record, electronic medical records, we decided that everybody needed to be on the same platform, at least on the ambulatory side. So all of our ambulatory practices that are members of this IDN are on one instance of NextGen. It is one big chart. So the primary care can see what the cardiologist did, can see what the gastroenterologist did, can, and they can all see what the primary care doctor did. So there's, you know, med rec is much easier, continuity of care is much easier. Uh, it made dealing with meaningful use a little bit because all the data exchange you're supposed to do with direct messaging and all that stuff was just done within the electronic medical record. So, um, Unfortunately, we didn't do the same thing on the hospital side. The hospital went with a best of breed model back in the early 2000s. So I have a different system in the ED than I do in the hospital, than I do in the operating room, than I do on obstetrics, uh, which makes life really interesting. Um, fortunately, um, we also have new leadership and um, they want to go to an all-in-one system, at least for the acute care side. So we will be beginning that move um, the RFPs to all the big boys went out there um, earlier this month. We should be making a decision sometime in early 22 and hopefully have everything up and running by the end of 23 so that we are more um, integrated on the acute care side and then can thus integrate better with our inventory team as we move forward. Uh, the new administration has definitely seen the value of data, especially with COVID hitting us in 2020 out of the blue, as I'm sure it did to all of you. Uh, and the need for that data has been brought to the forefront and the need to have a common system to, to be able to mine all that data is, is definitely there now. Kenny, 
So, you know, Dr. Feldman, that's a very interesting point, because when we looked at uh, meaningful use going back uh, over 10 years ago, there was the grand debate between monolithic systems like your Epics and your Cerners versus the best of breed. Um, and, you know, also like Dr. Herman to chime in, because now you represent you know, still represent a dichotomy between those two concepts. Now, it sounds like um, there is a winner in this uh, in this tussle, uh, and I'd like for both of you to comment: Is our monolithic systems the way to go? Like your, you know, multi, you know, in your all inclusive Epic, your all inclusive Cerner, because it sounds like to me, for digital integration and transformation, best of breed uh, may not be getting it done. What are your thoughts, gentlemen? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to start with that one. It is a very interesting question. Um, and I, in, in short, I'll say yes, the, the uh, enterprise-wide system, I think, is the, is the winner, although it's not the clear winner. Um, I, but there are more positives from our medical staff, from our aligned physicians in the community who come in and make rounds. They're very happy with what Dr. Falmouth had mentioned, where everybody can see what everybody else is doing, the documentation, uh, the imaging, the labs. Everybody's kind of got real-time information if they're in the system. Um, however, you know, physician adoption, which, you know, we live in, and, and breathe every day, uh, with different solutions is, uh, is probably the downside uh, of a bigger system like that. Cause it doesn't work the same for every specialty. It doesn't work the same for every physician. Uh, they can't customize it as much as they want to for their particular workflow, which may or may not be, um, you know, the same as, as everybody else. So consensus building and governance of those kinds of decisions is, as I'm, I'm going to guess what Dr. Falmouth and I do uh, most of the time. Um, so, but it's, it's, it's a clear win for the non-physicians to be able to see what, what everything is going on in real time. And, and, and now we're starting to get that data out to the patients uh, through patient portals, et cetera. So uh, I'm going to say that's the winner, although it's not a clear winner and it depends on uh, on everybody's uh, environment. And it looks like there's uh, still different environments out there than, than even our own. So I'll talk about, I think an all-in-one is a great idea, but I think with all the new APIs coming with the information blocking rule and the 21st Century Cures Act, that the ability of systems to more easily share key information is going to make that not quite that acute care has to be the same as ambulatory. You know, our ambulatory system has been up and running now since 2006. So for me to take that away from my outpatient doctors now would be World War III would be mild. <laughs> um, and it works very well. I mean, our, our because we're so highly integrated and so highly customized on that ambulatory platform, you know, our physicians are scoring in the upper 90s on all their MIPS and MACRA scores. Um, it's, it's what you can do, you know, they can tell what, not percentages, but which of their patients haven't had a hemoglobin A1C in six months, what their control of high blood pressure is, what their flu shot numbers are, you name it. We, we can, uh, quantify it and track it on the outpatient side. Um, doing that on the inpatient side with my best of breed is not anywhere close so having a monolithic, if you will, all-in-one system for the acute care side, I think is key. You know, if you stay with one of the mainstream systems that has access to anything hooked up with care quality, you're going to be able to share information with other ambulatory systems from acute care, I think, in a meaningful way. The physicians don't want to see the entire medical record. They want to see 
certain labs, certain radiology, a discharge summary, and a consult. They don't want to see every respiratory note, no T note, and nurse's note, and daily vital signs. Um, so to ha- they don't have to be on the same system as long as they can share enough key information. I think 21st Century Cures Act is going to get us there. I'd like to jump in and pick up on one of the things I heard both of you speak about, and that is in terms of the role of leadership within each of your organizations um, and their role within IT. Historically, um, the IT organizations have often driven their own IT strategic plans and brought solutions to the organization. But I sense that there's a shift that both the organizations are seeing, Dr. Falmouth, in, in the decision leadership is seeing into why they may need to upgrade a platform. And Dr. Herman, in terms of what the organization is looking to do with that platform now, with that digital first. Can you speak to a little bit as far as what you're seeing in terms of what the organization's leadership role is playing within these decisions that often were previously driven by IT? I'll, I'll take that one first, if you don't mind. So sure. on the ambulatory side, we've had a very active board <laughs> of physicians and um, IT and um other non-IT and non-physician leaders uh, directing the whole ambulatory implementation since the very beginning, uh, making sure that the physicians, nurses, clerical staff are all involved in the workflow development. Uh, I know in my practice, when we went from paper to next gen, we spent weeks and weeks and weeks with post-it notes going through every person in the practice's workflow and how it would be different and faster or better in the electronic environment than on the paper. You know, it would take you 20 minutes to do it this way. That was the fastest way you could do it on paper. But if you do it in a slightly different order and a different mindset, you can get it done in about two minutes. Um, And that transition with the staff was key, not trying to computerize a paper process. That went very well um, on the ambulatory side. With the best of breed model, that was extremely difficult to do because I had so many different workflows. Um, When I became CMIO, I had nine different EMRs on the acute care side for major to minor systems. Uh, And trying to get them, all of those disparate workflows was difficult. So we still have a lot of computerized paper workflows and that leadership was not there on the acute care side. And that's changing now, uh, very much so. And everybody's starting to realize it is key to take advantage of what the technology can offer, uh, which wasn't the, I don't think that was the case when I first came into this job and they only saw the technology as, a, as an obstacle, not as, a, as an aid. Well, Dr. Felmuth, God bless you on the nine uh, acute care systems. That's all I have to say about that one. Yeah, Jim, it's an interesting question, and I think it's crucial as far as leadership goes. This was a real opportunity in the healthcare industry in general for leaders to really show how they can influence mindsets and people. So I've lived under two sets of leaders. One was one who needed to be on the cutting edge of technology. So he would bring solutions to us and say, I want this. Now let's get the users to adopt it, which we did the absolute hard work and best we could. But as you know, adoption, if it comes from above, may or may not be because you don't know the workflows as a a CEO or or even as any leader. So we were somewhat challenged. The stuff was cool. And so the people really thought, all right, it's going to be cool to do that. But when you really broke down the workflows, it wasn't ideal for the the, the on the ground clinician, whether it be a doc or a nurse. Um, We have been, uh, you know, with our new leader, have been promised the same sort of support 
but we're going to upend the entire organization and we're going to look for what is the ideal workflow. I ask, I ask every meeting I am, I ask my staff, let's fantasize. Tell me the work, the way the work should go and we will find a way to make the system supported as best we can. Uh, we might need to integrate. We might need to interface. We might need to do, you know, some weird stuff uh, because it doesn't come, uh, the system doesn't come out of the box that way. But if we can figure out the best workflow, engagement and adoption is going to be organic in, in that methodology, in my opinion. And we've been promised the support that we need for resources, both human and non-human and, and technological from, from this current leadership. So, uh, you know, I've been blessed in having leadership that isn't reticent to, to, to think forward. Um, I would hesitate, you know, how well we would do with a leader who didn't really buy into technology. And, and those of us on this call know that there are still people out there who, you know, want to avoid the technology, both on the patient side and on the provider side. So, so we've been blessed. Um, and we're, you know, we're certainly going to, going to run with that. I wouldn't want to run with nine acute care <laughs> systems. I just wouldn't, <laughs> that's just cruel and unusual punishment. I, I would agree. <laughs> One quick I think one key thing I've always told my staff from the very beginning is we're a hospital system, an integrated network. So our primary job is to take care of patients. Our secondary job is to help the clinical staff take care of those patients. And then our last job is to take care of the technology. So we have to make the technology work for the clinical staff so the clinical staff staff can provide patient care. That's the priority we have to follow as a CMIO. It's not about using technology for technology's sake. It's about using technology to make those people's lives better and easier. No, that's a great Amen. point. Amen. Couldn't have said it better myself. And I'm going to want to follow up on that, but one quick follow-up question, Dr. Herman, to you brought up a point as far as how they're rethinking using the technology into adapting the workflows. What it, That almost is a little different than how a number of the vendors have historically provided their software in the sense of taking their model, adopting their model and their approach. What have you been seeing as far as uh, the reaction and support from the vendors in looking for them to support what your organization's identifying as the desired workflows? Yeah, it's a good question. And I certainly see your point. And I have not seen any change there. The way it's been, it's they're bringing this cool stuff to market and saying, here, you should really use this. You need this. It's the best, it's the bell, it's the best bell and whistle out there instead of digging into the why. I don't believe they, the vendors sit with um, real users to develop the workflow than to then develop the technology. And I wish I wish they would. That's what we end up doing at our level. Once we have, you know, bought onto the technology for whatever reason, uh, then we try to morph it to the workflow. But it really needs to start with the workflow. Where does the data need to be? How does it need to get there? And what's the easiest way for the users to get it in and, and, and really get it out? This is something that, you know, I, I don't mean to be preachy here, but people forget that getting the data in is only about 10%, but getting the data out and seeing it and using it is really 90%. And that's where your user adoption comes, in my opinion. Uh, so when it's a challenge to find stuff, yeah, docs are just completely disengaged and like, it's too hard. Just Just print all the stuff for me. And that's what I'll that's what I'll, and, and that's what we want to get away from. So hopefully I'd answered your question, but uh, yeah, very exciting times for sure. No, no question. And for those vendors who are, are listening to, to this podcast, definitely some, uh, some good advice for you all. 
So I've got a question for both of you. I mean, one of the things that I've always seen from a clinical side and interfacing with uh, leadership, uh, both the C-suite as well as the technology groups, is there's always central to the conversation when te- when technologies to be acquired and implemented is the ROI calculations, right? And, you know, there's only been one type of ROI going forward is, okay, if this system simplifies your workflow, that means you can do more in less time. That means you can increase throughput. But conversely, we are now moving into the value-based world, right? So it isn't necessarily about cranking, you know, 30, 35 patients in your ambulatory practice, maybe cutting down to up to 20 to 25 patients, and then being able to have the analytics that, as Dr. Feldman mentioned, you know, can, can you look at your A1C? Can you look at your breast cancer screening rates and those kind of things? So number one, do you see these two at odds, you know, when we're moving to value-based care and the ROI really speaks to a previous, uh, you know, a work system such as, you know, volume throughput, are they at odds, number one? And do you see when you implement new systems, the new calculus of value-based care affecting how new systems are acquired and purchased because you may not necessarily have all that cash on hand? What are your thoughts? So for the for us, we've done very, very well uh, with ROI, if you will, on the ambulatory side, um, it, which is, and we're still very much in a, um, a fractured world between fee-for-service and value-based care, which makes life for the, the uh, CPAs and the organization a little crazy because um, they're trying to figure out how we're getting reimbursed. And it makes life for the physicians a little crazy. Am I supposed to see more patients or take care of my patients? Because uh, that's not always as easy to do. So we've we've actually done okay ambulatory wise because we've we, because we're an integrated we're all in one EMR for ambulatory. We can report back on all the ACO metrics. So we've been we're in I think twelve different ACOs and we have done extremely well with that value based purchasing model for us for ACOs. Um, we were in CPC, CPC plus, and now it's called primary care first. We're in all those. We were, we're in the Aetna ACO, Cigna, Medicare Advantage, you name it. So those you can do well in if you have a single system, especially in acute care. Um, on the inpatient side, we have very limited stuff with value-based care. Uh, we've done some of the stuff with the, the uh, joints and come out okay, but with so many EMRs, on the acute care, it's sometimes really difficult to tell whether we've done okay or not. Um, and I think the next set of integration beside after acute care with ambulatory is going to be acute care with subacute and long-term care, because uh, that's where the dollars are to be saved as well. And we don't own any of our area nursing homes that we work with. Uh, and that's a big boatload of the dollars right there. So you're, we're going to need that ongoing data, if you will, sharing between acute care, ambulatory, long-term care, subacute care going forward if we're really going to get into value-based care. So we're still in that mixed model, which makes it very difficult. We're looking at, you know, how well we're doing on admissions at the same time. We're trying to keep days, uh, length of stay and readmissions down for value-based care. It's, you're trying to wear two hats at once right now, and it's difficult. 
Yeah, fair point. Um, all fair points. I mean, our CFO is very reticent to go into the value-based care world because of that. They're still getting paid in the older model, even though there's lots of literature, and lots of talk about the value-based care, uh, which we feel is the right thing to do. But it's been very difficult to, without an ROI, back to Dr. Gandhi, to prove to them that it's the right thing to do. So really, in answer to your initial question, I, I think it's a little bit of both. And I would contend that while an, you know, an ROI could come to the table if you do things faster, therefore maybe see an extra patient or two or three or 10, whatever they're asking, um, but really we could do it better. And, and I do think, again, referring to our, our new fresh eyes leadership, you know, quality is such an important thing and quality aligns with the value-based model. Not that it doesn't align with the, with the fee-for-service model, but um, I think it aligns a little bit better with the value-based model. So if you're using the system to, to feel con- your users feel confident that they're seeing the data they need to see to make good medical decisions, maybe in a faster time, maybe not. We all want to do things faster so that, you know, if we have 30 seconds to breathe, wouldn't that be a good thing? Or if you have an, another minute to talk to a family member or to call a family member, that all goes to quality. There is never going to be an ROI around that except for maybe, you know, some of your patient satisfaction scores, which we find important. I think many of the New Jersey systems also find important. So I think there's quality built in there, but it's going to be very, very difficult to put that on down on paper for a CFO. Um, we're just going to have to string them along and it's going to have to be the providers that bring them along uh, to get them to listen because there's no spreadsheet in the world that'll prove the value of, uh, of these systems, in my opinion. If I could just add one more point, I think the the one group we haven't talked about yet is the patients that much. You know, if we're going to move forward in value-based care, I mean, the goal of every physician is to make their patients well and keep them well. You know, that was our mantra even in medical school, you know, get people well. But we have to get peep, the patients, the people, our consumers, if you will, I hate that word, but that the, seems the way it's going, to be part of the solution but that means making the technology that we use available to them as well in a way that's simple and easy or as difficult as they're uh, for them to use as they can handle. So um, if it's my Spanish only speaking sixth grade education family, that's this level of the patient portal interaction. If it's my Harvard PhD, it's a different level Although that might be the same sometimes. Um, but we have to get the patient involved in their own care. And our technology has been, we've you know targeted at our clinical teams and our financial teams, but we've not really targeted patients as much as we need to, to get their buy-in and their involvement in their own care. Uh, telehealth seems to be a start that way. Um, portals have definitely got us started that way. Although, you know, because I'm best of breed, I have two, um, one for acute care, one for ambulatory. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, if I'm not on Cerner, my patients have to go to their Cerner portal to see what they had, to, where they had their tertiary care or their Epic portal where they had their tertiary care elsewhere. So until we get a more unified approach to patients, I think we're going to be somewhat limited on the value-based care side because we really need the patient's involvement more than we have right now. And that's a perfect lead into where I was going to go with the next set of questions in terms of when we think about those larger digital transformation 
initiatives, one of the cornerstones that you see in almost every conversation about that is increased patient engagement and how to improve that engagement piece. So, so thanks for leading us there, Dr. Felmuth. And Dr. Herman, I know that there's a lot that that Spear is doing on that front there and, and a big focus of your leadership in that patient first, digital first piece. Can you speak to where the organization's focused in that area? Yeah, I can. It's such a crucial concept that I'm glad Dr. Felmuth brought it up. Um, very similar to the concept I talked about in our organization, turning it on its head and making the users drive, you know, identify the workflows and which, which then drives the technology. The same thing with patients, um, like you were saying. I mean, if you could make the way we engage with them through technology as easy as a telephone or a TV, they, even though they only have a fifth grade education, they typically they have a TV or they have a telephone of some sort. Um, if we can make them that easy, uh, you know, we'll bring them along. Even the over 65 crowd, they're the ones we have the difficulty with. Patient portal, they don't log on to the portal. They don't see their data. They want to use the phone. They want to come into the office, whatever. So we're working very hard um, at trying to turn it, you know, turn it over and have the patients drive these, uh, you know, these technologies, these quality metrics and these methods um, with, you know, a, as as I believe, a fairly easy user, uh, user, the patient portal, um, easy from a user point of view for them to log into to first sign up for, which is the which is the key barrier. Uh, and then to review their data. And they're finding that, you know, it's a direct contact with their provider. They can message back and forth several times through a day. And that asynchronous communication, I personally find in my practice very, very time effective. And the patients like it too, because they know that they're getting an alert when the doctor has answered them. They're not waiting to do anything. They're not on hold with an office. They're living their life while we're doing the asynchronous communication. So that's just one silly example of how I think, you know, there are many benefits to uh, to engaging with the patients. Remote patient monitoring has been a really big deal for us at Inspira. We do have a third-party contractor doing it, which is okay, and they're not completely integrated into our EMR, but one day maybe they will be. Um, but, you know, as a family doc, hypertension is a big part of my life. And, you know, to make a, clin a good, solid clinical decision on one or two blood pressures in the office, eh, I never felt good about that. But now that I can get an average over a month, and, and, you know, regardless of what their activities are, I can have that information. That's the kind of data that we really want to have to make much better clinical decisions. So having the patients engage in these monitoring and, and real-time uploads of data is just is actually going to be crucial, but it's got to be user-friendly for them to engage in it. Probably have about a 25% rejection rate when I refer someone to remote patient monitoring once they understand what it takes to get onto the program and upload data, et cetera, about 25% of them say, I don't want to bother. Now that is the over 65 crowd, but um, if it's easy to use, easy to adopt, easy to log on, um, more and more and more of them are going to do it. So along with, you know, with the many other um, initiatives uh, to try to engage the patients, that's one of the crucial ones, both communication and, and getting data from them. I would love to say I'm as far along as you are. We are not. Um, we had a, uh, a patient advisory group that we were meeting with pretty regularly for about almost two years, uh, which was giving us all kinds of great feedback on how to improve our portals and workflows for patients and what they really wanted out of the portal. And we listened hard to that. And then COVID hit and blew everything up. Uh, so we're, we haven't met with them since the beginning of COVID because that was a very, it was an in-person meeting um, where we'd meet them with them twice a month. Um, so we're, we're really are far behind. We are going to be 
moving to a whole new ambulatory portal early next year that addresses most of the things you raised and most of the questions that our patients have raised um, as needs for the portal side. For the remote patient monitoring, I'm with you. I mean, the over 65 has trouble setting up their home Wi-Fi or uh, connecting a Bluetooth uh, scale or blood pressure monitor to their phone. Um, they don't want to talk to a robot on the phone. Um, they're not thrilled even with the, the telemedicine visits. They, they, they want to come to the office and see their docs. Um, and, you know, it's, they're a challenge. Uh, and then our younger population has wanted telehealth visits 24-7 for, you know, the past 10 years. Um, you know, they want to FaceTime with the doc like they do with their kids uh, and their friends. So it's, it's it, you got two different worlds that you're trying to meet. And and to that end, you know, all, and it's, you know, Dr. Falmouth, uh, thank you for that response. And, you know, when you mentioned COVID-19, that has really both accelerated our uptake of uh, remote patient monitoring, telemedicine, all these technologies, bringing that to the forefront. Um, also, one of the things I've noticed in taking care of a diverse uh, patient population, also a family doc uh, here in Willingboro, um, is there's a wide disparity between you know people in the population that either has the technology or has the knowledge and as you mentioned the over 65 crowd tends to be more reticent because they're used to seeing their docs one of the things we've identified and I'm I'd like to get comment from Dr. Felmuth and Dr. Herman on your respective shops is the emerging digital divide so just because you may have a smartphone um, if you're going home and you don't have a Wi-Fi network, then your connectivity tends to be poor. And in my experience in telemedicine visits, just because you have the hardware, one level of hardware doesn't mean that you're going to have that quality visit. In fact, a good 15 to 20% of my patients, despite following our instructions and going through our portal, can never seem to connect because of hardware limitations. Thus, there seems to be a digital divide the forming you know, across the population uh, along the lines with healthcare disparities. So it's a challenge. What have you seen in your populations and does, does that seem to describe what some of uh, the challenges that you're having with uh, portal adoption as well as tool adoption for patients? Yeah, uh, happy to go first. Uh, that's a definite yes. We've seen exactly the same thing that, that you're experiencing. And what I think a lot of folks forget is that we are all, all of us, regardless of walk of life, are dependent upon a connection. So, yeah, we can have the card. And you mentioned this. You, you can have the hardware. But if you don't have a good cell signal or Wi-Fi, um, you know, there's no movement of data. So, therefore, you know, it's a challenge. And I have to, I have to remind even people in my own families, oh, well, you're not connected. That's why you're not seeing the same thing I'm seeing. So that is going to be until we can figure that out from a community support you know, point of view. And I know there are some communities who have, Philadelphia is one of them who have made Wi-Fi available pretty much everywhere in the city. Until we do that, um, you know, there will be a continuing uh, a digital divide. But that's also aligns with my comment to presumably the vendors who are developing these things, make them as simple as a phone, because that's what either the over 65 crowd or or whoever is challenged, that's what they want it to be that easy. If we can make it that easy and we can get them connected, then I think there will be better uptake and adoption. Yeah, the digital divide is both a income and location and education issue and definitely an age issue. As we've been saying, you know, the, the geriatric population definitely has problems. A lot of them have problems with the technology. Um, the young younger population wants everything, you know, at gigabyte speed. 
um, instantaneously and expect it to be in 4K um, and 3D. And they're surprised you're not coming through as a hologram yet. Uh, and then you have your indigent population whose only connectivity may be their smartphone. And I, I mean, I don't know about down where you are in Inspira, but here in 100 and um, in, we're hilly by Jersey standards and we're rural by Jersey standards. So if you're in somebody's house as a home health worker, you may be on DSL because that's all they have and not even a 3G signal uh, for your cell phone um, because of where we are. Uh, you can be out there in the community and not have access to broadband at all. So the challenges are still out there for connectivity and knowing how to use the technology. So, and I see that divide daily, uh, even amongst our staff. Now you've, um, it, it, this has been a great conversation and we could go on forever and I'm looking forward to hopefully perpetuating the, these, these CMIO panels here. Let me hit upon one last topic. You've hit upon infrastructure, talked about the care delivery, patient engagement, some of the pillars there, but maybe close with, what your organizations are, are doing or looking to do as it pertains to, and Dr. Herm, you mentioned about the use of data and from an analytics perspective. Can you just touch upon what, what each of your organizations is doing or planning to do in that area as we, as we close up this conversation? Sure, sure. I can do that in just a few minutes. I mean, just the many things we're turning on, uh, standing on its head is, is our analytics platform as well. We actually restructured the organization. We put analytics in in a uh, transformation office underneath the innovation office. And uh, so data, I think, will be more accessible to those of us in the network as well as outside the network if we, um, you know, if we structure that team correctly. And it really was a, a responsive team rather than an advanced thinking team. This is supposed to be a team that is in advance and sets these things up so that the users can really get the data that they need sort of on their own-ish as long as they're, you know, advanced thinking enough. And using the the um, the platform that we that we were given in a better way, we have a, a population health platform that overlies not only our EMR, but also the EMRs in the community. Um, and all that data is populated, but we never really used it properly. So we're advancing those um, those structures as well so that you know, we can get all that information and presumably make better decisions clinically and from a business uh, point of view uh, by you know, being a little bit more forward thinking about how we how we get that data to both the internal users and the external users. And hopefully that that helps you understand that a little bit better. Yeah, that's great. Dr. Well, and you make me jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so on the ambulatory side, we do very well with data and data analytics and even with population health because we're on a single EMR with a single database. The acute care side, the move right now is just to get us on a single EMR, improve our data governance and get the data in a format in a single location so we can start to plan out the data analytics um, moving forward. So as we are looking to get that all-in-one EMR for the acute care side, we're also looking at what tools we wanna to put in place to use that data so we build it into the development. So as the EMR is being installed, the data is being built into the system in a way that we can use it and get it out of the production EMR into a database where we can use it actively and not slow down the users. Uh, so that's our, our move looking forward. So we're probably a year or two behind you at least uh, on the acute care side. Uh, but you know, analyzing that data for closer to real time Instead of, you know, retrospectively, we should have done this, saying being more proactive. Based upon this, we really ought to be looking at that. 
uh, I think that's where we need to go as as a as a as a as a healthcare industry. Well, this has been great. And oh, can you go right ahead? So I've got one final question, more hundred thousand foot view. And again, this New Jersey Hymns is uh, putting together this podcast series. So I have, you know, as our, our prominent uh, regional CMIOs. Uh, the last question I have to ask is, what can New Jersey Hymns do to help your uh, IT informatics departments, help your clinicians from both the programming and event kind of things? Because as we move into 2022, and hopefully we get to meet in person and have our spring event and our fall event, we're always interested in finding out the voice of the customer, the voice of the technologist. Can you give me a couple of things that you really find that you could use from New Jersey Hymns that would make your job easier to make patient care better. Yeah. I mean, let me take a step that first, if I can. I, yeah. I mean, one simple thing, and you guys have already done this many times is put the users together with the vendors, but we need to engage at a different level. The vendors need to not only hear the customer, but engage the customer so they know how to develop these things so that not only do the customers buy them, but the users can and will use them so that the data can flow. So we just have to, I think, come together at a different level than we ever have before, even to the point where customers should be at the table when when solutions are designed, in my opinion. And I, to me, I think that the, to build on that piece, because I think that's right on, is to get the users involved in that as well. Uh, you know, we're techie guys, you know, we like those bright, shiny objects. So we're always looking for that stuff. But the people you need to sell are the end users. So, you know, working with the, you know, the state specialty societies, uh, the state nursing association, so that those people are aware of what the vendors have to offer, uh, as well as the IT people, so that it's a win-win for everybody. I think that would be a good approach. No, that's great. I want to thank both of you and, and you and your, your colleagues are, you know, the, the techie guys that can speak both sides of the language and help us who live more on the techie side uh, connect to and understand that. So, so great advice and perspective on that. So l- let me close up and thank both of you for joining Dr. Falmouth from, from Hunterton and, and Dr. Herman from Spira. Um, thank you on behalf of myself and Dr. Gante for, um, for joining us today. Um, so for everyone who's listening today, we want to thank you for, for listening. Hope you found this as interesting as, as we did in, in hosting it. Um, we're looking forward to releasing our next podcast in the series in January. Uh, please check out all of our chapters podcasts for interesting information technology topics um, through your favorite platforms. So on behalf of my guests and the New Jersey HIMSS chapter, thank you for listening. Have a great day.